Howdy. Welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. The message you're about to hear was given by my father-in-law. He was a pastor for over 45 years. Uh, He comes from Cuba. He's got a good-looking daughter that I was privileged to marry. And I think you'll enjoy his message on the story of Joseph. Ignacio has an amazing testimony himself with living in a concentration camp for over three years. And really awesome guy. So I hope you enjoy. Oh, and one more thing. Our audio this week is not as good as usual. We've got a new system in place and we're working out a few kinks. So thanks for your patience. When George Washington became the president of the United States, he enacted what was known as the policy of assimilation. He wanted the Native Americans become a part of a new culture of the United States of America, but still remain a unique and independent nation. The Cherokee accepted it. They just took it and ran with it. So they have their own constitution and they have their own Supreme Court. And as it goes, they actually began to dress, some of them, um, in Caucasian attire. And um, everything was going just well until in 1829, gold was fine found in the Lonega, Georgia. Only a few miles away from here, northeast, right? I believe. Okay. So the Caucasians began to enter the Indian territories and began to create problems with the Indians because they wanted to go and extract the gold and become as rich as they possibly could. Georgia then passed a law imposing itself over the authority of the Cherokee Nation. Cherokee Nation appealed to the Supreme Court of the United States of America, and they voted that Georgia laws have no authority over the laws of the Cherokee Indians. But unfortunately, George Washington did not stay there forever. A new president, a new sheriff came on town, and that was Andrew Jackson. And he was thinking about the policy of uprooting the Indians to make room for the Caucasians. This is history. I hope nobody is saying, this Cuban comes here to talk about Georgia. So he thought that all the tribes east of the Mississippi should be removed to what's called the Indian Territory in Oklahoma. Have you ever been in Oklahoma? It doesn't look like Georgia. 
is bare, no rolling hills, you know, very, very bare. So, having become the new elected president of the United States, Andrew Jackson imposed the policy of uprooting to all the Indian nations east of the Mississippi to make room for the Caucasians. The Choctaw, Seminole, the Chickasaw, the, Mos the Muskegee, Muskegee Creek, all gave up under the pressure of the president and they all left to Oklahoma. Actually, he had a saying. He said, if we put enough fire under them, they'll go by themselves. We will not have to uproot them. Jackson kept pushing, and in 1830, he passed the Indian Removal Act. He wanted to do it as soon as possible, while he was still the president. Finally, in 1838, the federal government sent 2,200 troops and uh, 1,500 volunteers. So they herded 15,000 Indians walking all the way from here to the Indian Territory in Oklahoma. It was only 18, I mean, 850 miles away. For those on horse, it was okay. But for those on foot, that was a very difficult and long journey. So they put them in, in, in stockades in preparation for the removal to Oklahoma. And finally, what the Indians call the Trail of Tears began. From the 14,000 Indians, 4,000 died in the attempt. It was probably the most injustice and travesty ever committed by the government of the United States. And I believe that nobody really, really disputes that. Anyway. This historical event is known today, as I said, the Trail of Tears, or the trail where we cried. That's how the Indians expressed it themselves. Now, something interesting happened in the way from here to Oklahoma. You know, the Indians believed in what they called the eternal fire. They were monotheistics. They didn't have many gods like other Indians or other religions. Monotheistic, which was very unique to them. So since the fire they left behind, the eternal fire, as they call it, they left behind, would be put out by itself. Finally, after many days, they concocted some kind of a plan. And many, many Indians, unknown to the soldiers, carry embers in sacks of skin, animal skin. 
And all the way there, putting a little grass here and a little piece of wood there, they, they were feeding the embers so that they would last until they would make it all the way to the Indian Territory, their new home. Friends, when they finally got there, and the soldiers have nothing else to do with them and left, then they put all the embers together, and a new fire started. And before uh, too long, it became again a raging fire. It was amazing. Because they believe that raging fire was what guided them. That was, in their minds, you know, an expression from God himself. Now let's transfer our attention to the next story. Because this is another real story I want to tell you. In case you did not notice, I was an introduction. My wife told me, he said, 25 minutes... I said, after three and a half years, I doubt that I can preach for 35 minutes. But anyway, you know, when 12 comes, feel free to go. <laughs> I'll keep on preaching. You can, you, you can go. Okay. So now let's transfer our attention to the next story, which is found in Genesis. I suppose that you have a hunch on what this is. Um, of course, I didn't give in, gave it a very full name because I sort of don't like to tell people exactly what I'm going to preach because Seventh-day Adventists are interesting creatures. You know, if they see it published somewhere, they say, I know what the pastor is going to be preaching on Sabbath. Already know that, so I'm not going to tell Okay, but anyway, well, the title is kind of close. What was the title that I gave the sermon? Okay, come on. The Journey of Tears. I just hit the first important word on it. Okay, so let's go to the book of Genesis. Okay, let's go to the to chapter 37, and we're going to be reading... Verses 18 to 28. That's where we're going to pick up the story. Now, you know what I'm, who I'm going to be talking about. Uh, the story for the children was about Joseph. Of course, I'm going to be talking about a little bit, something a little bit different. Okay. Um, you know Joseph. Joseph and his brothers did not have the greatest time possible. Um, his brothers really and truly did not care for God. The father had done all possible in his power to guide his children. Twelve boys and a girl. And um, they just did not pay much attention except for Je uh, Benjamin and, of course, Joseph, which was the older brother. The, um, the hatred of the brothers toward Joseph grew just out of control. And also, although Joseph was always 
carrying something good for them, he sometimes said things that they really don't, didn't like. So now they are in Dothan, far away. Uh, uh, they, they have the care of the sheep, or the family. And that was a faraway place from home. The father sent Joseph with food so they could have some special things from home while they were tending to the sheep. Now listen to this. Joseph finally finds them. He sees them far away and he recognizes them. My 11 loving brothers, they're coming. Uh, I, mean, I mean, they're there resting. And um, the Bible says the following. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. You're talking about, about brothers conspiring to kill a brother. So you see the enmity that have developed, not from Joseph to his brother, but from the brothers towards Joseph. So I can see in my mind, I can see in my mind, Joseph um, running to his brothers and saying, Brothers, brothers, I'm here. I'm here. I have good news for you. And I have good goodies and stuff that you can, that you can enjoy. While well, they were saying, let's kill him. Isn't that a contrast? Isn't that amazing before, between the character of one person and the character of 11 others? Not all of them were that bad because one tried to prevent this from happening. Then they said to one another, did I say verse 18? Anyway, verse 18. No, uh, now 19. Now they said to one another, look this, the dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit as a dead body. And he shall say, uh, and we can say to our fathers, and wild beasts devour him. He shall see what will become of his dreams. Now Joseph will say finally what will become of his dreams. His dreams will never come to pass. They knew there was something special about this dream. Because in the dreams God was showing to him, you are going to be very important in this family. You're going to be very important to this world anyway. And they, and they gather it. They, they knew it. And so that was a plan they had. I can imagine when Joseph runs at full speed and comes, Brothers, I'm here. So happy to see you all. And they grab him and begin to take his clothes. You know, that, it, that he's surprised because he never, although he, they were so mad and they showed it, they never, he never thought that they would do whatever they were doing to him. Brothers, what's going on? What, what happened, brothers? Brothers, you, you're hurting me. You know, what, what is it that you're planning to do? And then they threw him in the pit. And, and I can imagine Joseph confused. 
She's not understanding what's going on. These are my brothers. They are part of my family. My father, my father raises all the same. What, what is happening? He could not even imagine what was really going on. That was not the end of it, of course. A band of uh, merchants was coming, was passing by. They were in their way to Egypt where they will sell all the, their goodies. And they always carry slaves. Slaves they, they, they collected all along the way. Well, the brothers um, decided we don't have to kill him. Listen, we don't have to carry this crime in, in our heads for the rest of our life. We can just sell him. Sell him to our cousins. Because they were Ishmaelites. Only 80 years before that. 80 to 100 years before that. You know what? Abraham had a son. And a family de developed uh, out of that son. It was Ishmael the father of the Arab nation. Well, these merchants were cousins of Joseph. And I can imagine Joseph, well, at least if they, if they, if they give me to, to our distant cousins, they will give me back to my father. Well, no. That was another plan. Actually, they sold him, my friends. They sold him as a slave. And you know what, my friends? It is better to be dead than a slave. If you die, it's done with, you don't feel anything. But when you're a slave, the abuse that is ahead of you is incredible. So they sold him and on to Egypt, Joseph went. Well, um, you may say, well, the welcome in Egypt was not too bad. They took him to the market of slaves. In no time, he was old. Fortunately, to a rich man, to a very influential man in the kingdom, Potiphar. Potiphar had a lot of possessions. Well, Potiphar looked at him, proudly opened his mouth to see how many teeth he had, or if he had lost few. And he saw that he was good-looking, strong, young, friends about 17 years old. What do you think? Mm -hmm. I was about to ask who's here 17 years old, but I don't think there is any 17 years old person here today. Is there anybody 17 years old? No. I'm sorry you are all too old, <laughs> including myself. Anyway. Anyway, so he goes, his soul to Potiphar. Wow, what a blessing. People can say, well, he landed in Egypt with the right foot. Okay, so he went from a slave, you know, um, into the house of Potiphar. How is that? That, that is just wonderful. So, friends, Potiphar set him on a path that would make a little difference in his life, but not for, not for a long time. 
You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that when Joseph, who did not know the language, I suppose he had to learn the language. It took him a little bit, but he was very intelligent, very capable 17-year-old man. And you know what, my friends? Before you knew, Joseph was taking care of all the business of Potiphar inside the house and outside of the house. He had good mathematical skills, and so he could do it just better than anybody else. And so, uh, friends, um, the first part of the experience was good. I suppose that he ate like a slaves, but home slaves are different than slaves that you take out to work in mines or breaking stone or all this kind of stuff. Joseph was inside of a house, you know, so making his counts and his calculations and so on, so on and so so forth. Now, I want you to get acquainted with a few other things that Joseph was exposed to. When he came to Egypt and he saw the big buildings, the big pyramids, the big monuments, just menacing looking monuments, uh, Joseph was, I suppose, very surprised and a little bit scary. It was a different society with different customs, you know, and um, these are some of the things that he had to face. Number one, the language barrier. Number two, the difference in dress. Well, you know, Egypt was a very, very hot area. Now remember the promised land where, from where Joseph came was cooler. There was a lot of trees, fruit trees, and so on and so forth. It was much, much cooler, so they all dressed differently. Let me give you an example. Well, Joseph, you know, had a tunic, his father did, and he used, he used it, put it on some other pieces of garment that they all use in Canaan. Well, when Joseph got to Egypt, he was surprised by the nudity of Egypt. Immediately, what he saw was children nude running around. Why bother? Why bother? What put anything on? It was too hot. And actually, sometimes I heard Seventh-day Adventists saying, um, well, that's why I use these and I use that, because it's too hot. It was very hot, too. You know, and so we have principles. We should keep them, friends. Um, children running around naked. Men wore only a kilt with a little cord that would attach it to his, his body, all around his body. Okay, but you know what? When things became real hot, red hot, they took it away. Why did they have to use that? It was too sweaty, too hot, you know? So that was Egypt. Now, the ladies did not, uh, were very different from, uh, from uh, in, in their dresses. The, their dresses consisted mostly in a very transparent tunic that they used all the way down. You can see through all the way. So you were seeing the person nude. 
as you look at them. They were used to it. They didn't care about it. But for Joseph, I suppose, friends, that entering into a situation like that, he's 17 years old, friends, you know, and um, he's from this very conservative uh, family. And, um, well, sometimes the ladies change their, their garment. So they use a very short skirt and nothing above. Their breast, just free, just like that. Well, sometimes they change that. They just got um, a piece of garment and they put it from one side of the head to the waist, leaving out only one breast. That was good enough for them. Well, I imagine, I imagine, my friend said, uh, Joseph was faced with a lot of stuff. That alone is, 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 is big. Now, the change in diet was one of the problems. See, in Egypt, they eat fish. Joseph had never seen a fish in his life. Joseph did not have a taste for, for fish. And I'm convinced that as good as he was in terms of his spirituality, that he kept the principles that all the people of God were keeping all along the way. Certain fish are not good for eating. So says God who created them. Anyway, okay. They ate bread. They ate fruit in Egypt, but then they ate, I mean, drank a lot of beer. Guess who invented beer? Our relatives, the Egyptians, they created beer. And you know what? It's history says that they used beer just like Kool-Aid. All day long, children, older people. So you, you can imagine. Now in Canaan, they ate lamb, bread, Grapes and the juice of grapes. So that was a big change that he had to change. Now, changing homes in Egypt, there were buildings. The buildings were made out of bricks. In Canaan, they slept in tents. Music. In Egypt, lots of instruments, lots of music, lots of dancing. You know this belly dancing thing? It started there. It says that the ladies were very prominent in their side because of all the belly dancing, you know, stuff. Okay, well, in, in Canaan, they had maybe tambourines, rings, little harps, and little flutes, and that was what they make music with. Okay, now Hebrews use beards, just like me. I'm not trying to become one of them. The Egyptians shaved all their bodies. They started with the head, they went into the chest, and the back, and the arms, and all the way down. They hated hair. Okay? <laughs> so you can imagine these people, you know, no hair at all, anywhere. Well, they look interesting. You know, and um, um, for gatherings, then the Egyptians wore something a little bit different. Cones. Have you seen examples of uh, uh, Egyptians with cones looking like the Pope? Or 
clearly that they filled the cones with perfume because they were to attend a some sort of a celebration. And so they filled the cone with perfume. They, they grew a lot of uh, um, uh, flowers around the, the, in, the, in the margins of the Nile River. And so they learned how to make perfume. You know, they pressed the flowers and they created a variety of perfumes. They, the history says that you can walk in Egypt anywhere you would smell perfume. They were very clean. Actually, took more bath than the than the um, uh, Joseph and his family. But anyway, you know, it wasn't as hot as Egypt anyway. Now, when they went to these celebrations and things got really hot and they were dancing and whatever, the, perf the perfume that was like a paste began to melt. And then it would run, you know, beside their faces and, and from their back and from the front. And then, you know, they, they filled their whole bodies. Very strange custom. I don't know. Um, I think that I can use a little bit of something, but I think that that was an exaggeration. So Joseph survived all these things. And guess what? He remained faithful to Jehovah. By the way, let me explain to you that Jehovah and Jesus are none, none other than the same person. The Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. Okay? And I remember the other day when uh, Jared was speaking, and he gave a name for Jesus. What was that, Jared? Yeshua. Yeshua. Well, that's the real name of Jesus in Hebrew. Well, you know, Yeshua and Jehovah are not very far apart. Anyway, but it's proven, and most of the Christian churches believe it, that the Jehovah of the Old Testament was none other than the Jesus of the New Testament. And we can talk about that one day. It will be an interesting study. Okay, so my friends, uh, Joseph was accustomed to worship Jesus. Did you really think about it the way it was? He was accustomed to worship Jesus, my friends. Let's go back to Genesis 39. Let me see if my wife has begun to, to do this yet. Um, not yet. So I guess I'm okay. Um, Genesis 39. Verse. Uh, let me start from the beginning. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard of an Egyptian, bought him and the, from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. But the Lord was with Joseph. But Jehovah was with Joseph. But Jesus was with Joseph. And Joseph was with Jesus. See the connection, my friends? The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. You know what the Bible says? He says, everything that Joseph touched became gold. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, a non-truth story. Because everything that he touched really progressed, multiplied, under his incredible uh, businessman. But things change. 
You know, Christianity, being a Christian, walking on this earth, in this fallen earth, is not a piece of cake. And things sometimes turn bad. Even for Christians. Even for Christians, like you and me. Well, let's go to verse number 9. Well, let, let, let me tell you just a little explanation. Potiphar's wife, I don't know if she was beautiful. I was not she was too old for Joseph, because Joseph, remember, started the journey of tears of his life when he was 17. But look at this, number 7. And it came to pass... After these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes. He looked at him very long. She's analyzing him, everything. And he says, and she said, lay with me. Simple. It's very straightforward. I'm an important woman. I'm the wife of Potiphar. I have authority. And you know what? I'm offering my body to you. I'm offering myself to you. Lay with me. But he refused. Verse number 8. And he said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He doesn't care what I do here because he trusts, trusts me. And he knows that everything that I'm going to be, be is going to be done according to my faith and to the respect that I have, that, that I have for my God. Okay? And then... Joseph answered, verse 8, There is no one greater in this house than I. When Potiphar is everywhere, he says, I am the boss here. He trusts me in every single detail. You know, I, I, I'm faithful to him because I'm faithful to God. Okay? And then he says, Uh... Nor has he kept back anything from me. Only one thing he has kept. In, that is what? You. You lady. Okay? Come to terms with the reality. Okay? I can deal with everything here. I can control everything here. Nothing has been reserved that I cannot touch in this house. But you. Do you think that's a firm way to deal with a situation like this? Do you really believe that? I do believe that. Okay, you know what the Bible says? Uh, run away from the juvenile passions. Run away from the juvenile passions. Well, here is Joseph, and he has this incredible push for sinning. And he says this, and this is what I really love. How can I do? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I'll tell you what, in what he was saying, he, he, was, he was being a missionary to this woman. I'm trying to save you too. Okay? I'm not going to do anything that offends my God and, and that, that offends me too. This is a wicked thing. I'm not going to do it. And guess what? Run from the juvenile passions. Run, he did. Okay? And then came the accusation, the lady, oh, 
oh, my husband, you know, I've always been faithful with you. Well, with so many slaves in the house, who knows how many times she wasn't faithful, faithful to Potiphar. So, husband, you have to do something. You really have to uh, straighten up this guy. If you kill him, I'll be happy. But I suppose the Potiphar knew better. And so Potiphar sent him to a prison. That was about it. The lady was enraged. Do you know what you're saying? That you don't care for me. Everybody will say, I'm, I'm not a good woman. I'm perverted. Who knows what you, the people are going to say about me? You know what? Potiphar, I believe he's come to know his wife real, real well. So friends, to the prison he went. And the trail of tears of Joseph continued. Because you know what? Joseph could have said, Lord, I'm here serving you. Look at this. Look at what I do. I risk my life. I do everything I possibly can, humanly speaking, with your help. Look at where I am in the prison. No, I'm not a slave. I'm a prisoner. Okay, it's a new experience. And things went real bad, bad with Joseph. Now, what was this young man made out of? I mean, he did not come in a little spaceship like Superman. His strength, his spiritual strength did not come from outer space. You know what? His strength came from somewhere. And you know, a lot of people discuss, well, it was a dysfunctional home. The father didn't know how to treat the other kids. He treated this one better. You cannot make difference between brother and brother or child and child. You know what? I really tend to believe that was not exactly what happened to Joseph. Because I really believe that his father knew what to do with this boy. And he was the only boy. And another one was coming. Was, that was Benjamin. And you know what? They accepted. They really loved what his father was transferring to their minds and to their hearts. I can imagine them walking. And, I, and, I, I, you know, and, and his father beside him, because there was no Bible, you know, telling all the stories one by one. I'm not going to read it because of, because of time. Read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. You know what the Bible says there? It says, you have children. Tell them about these things when. Is there a good time to tell your children about Jesus? About the God of heaven that created all of us? Who's that? Who was that? Jesus, Jehovah. Okay. Do you think it's only a good time? During the day that you can talk to your children about these things. The most important things in the universe. Just to know the God who created you. you just that you can know the God that is going to redeem you on time. I imagine, my friends, that the job this man did was just incredible. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9. I'm not going to read it. Okay? Please read it yourself. <coughs> my friends... All through his life. Joseph was collecting embers. Embers of truth. Embers of realities. Embers of spirituality. Embers that burned his heart and, and created a core 
that was so immune to all these things that, that, that it's almost impossible to believe. Embers that made a raging fire into, fire into his heart, my friends. That's why I believe when the time came, he was able to say, how can I do this evil thing? And sin, he understood the principle of sin. And sin against God. That is impossible. That is impossible, my friends. But now, I just want to... uh, want to talk, want to extend this story to our times. I have an important question to, to share with you today. I know the world is full of trials and tribulations. I've been there. I know that we don't deserve them, but I know this is the world that we live in. And I know that, thank God, we have a God who loves us to the point to give his son. Just to prevent us from falling into total despair. And to save us. So my question to you, my friends, today is... Are you in a journey right now away from your father? Just drifting away from your father. Remember Joseph. Away from his father he was, not because he wanted to, but but because he was forced to. Okay, but are you you in a journey away from your father? Are you in a journey that somehow started and you don't know how to stop, you don't know how to stop? Are the things of Egypt, Egypt talking at your heart stronger all the time? Are you feeling that your heart is not any longer red hot for Jesus, your creator and your redeemer, your Jehovah? Are you struggling with things you lost control of? This is for you to think. I don't want you to be thinking about those around you. (laughs) These questions are personal questions. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. So don't panic. But I'm asking you serious questions. Where are you at at this time? What is the problem that is causing you this incredible struggle? Feeling that you are in a journey, in a negative journey, a journey of tears. Is it health? Only you can answer that to your heart, to your core. Is it finances? Have you learned how to manage finances? Or you don't know where money goes. Okay? Okay, is it your spouse? What's your spouse thinking about you? Does she think or does he think that you are the best spouse in the world? Or you're losing a handle on that? Is it about your children? 
Is is it about your job? Some things are not just working well in my job. Is it your friends? Or is it your relatives? You know, relatives sometimes can guide us into the pit of Joseph. Right? Relatives, remember? Who put Joseph in the pit and who sold him? Relatives. Particularly because those relatives did not have God in their hearts. Anyway, is this your trail of tears? It could be. I don't know. Maybe I said something that you can recognize and say, Oh Lord, it is true. I'm in a a trail of tears. I have not thought about it, but I am. Now, here's the solution. Here's the solution. Listen carefully because there is a solution to all that, my friends. You need to revert the trail of tears and start, start somehow, my friends, the trail of triumphs in Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to fail. Jesus doesn't want us to be just to say another human being walking on the sands of toward Egypt. The Lord doesn't want that to happen to to us. So the first thing, my friends, is to start a trail of triumphs in Jesus. Because sometimes the only thing that we know is how to lose. How to lose. Remember, Jesus is the one that says, come to me. I mean, if you don't learn anything else, take that to your heart. Come to me. Where are we going? Toward Jesus or toward Egypt? Where are we really going? I mean, where do you find yourself lost in a world that you cannot really comprehend or or understand? Friends, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to catch your embers. I'll tell you what your embers are. Catch your embers to put them together to create a big fire. You can call it the fire of the Holy Spirit if you want to. The Indians call it the uh, eternal fire. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is also eternal. My friends, what are your embers? Well, my friends, remember when you heard the message for the first time? And something clicked in your mind? And something clicked in your heart? And there was this exuberance, there was this joy that you began to feel about this something different that I've never heard before. About this Jesus, there was everything that, that was becoming little by little, everything for you. My friends, that's an ember that you can try to rescue and bring back. The excitement of your conversion, your baptismal day, all these images you have in your mind that have been left behind and that you may be, who knows, maybe not, you know, left behind you, long way back behind you. What are your, your, your embers? Your relationship with Jesus. You understanding that the Holy Spirit was guiding you when you heard his words behind you. You know, always guiding through the narrow path, the right path to eternity. 
Friends, we need to get our embers from the back, from our past, and bring them together again to form the raging fire. Lastly, I want to share with you, now don't, don't be surprised if I ever preach again here. If I use these verses again, because you know what, my friends, I'm, I'm, I, re, I really believe there are things in the Bible that we can pass by, read about it many, many times, you know, pass over and, and never grab the, 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 the meaning and how good those things can be to implement into our, heart, into our hearts. I invite you to open your Bibles in chapter 12 of Hebrews. Now, do you know what chapter is chapter 11? Huh? What is it? What is chapter 11? What does it talk about? The heroes of faith. Those who put the, 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 uh, the embers together and those who kept the fire. Those who came back from problems, those who came back from defeats, those who recovered themselves only because they kept loving and serving the great Jehovah, the great Jesus. Okay, now we are in chapter 12. Listen to how it starts. Therefore, consequently, we also... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. What are witnesses? Chapter 11. Chapter 11. Now there are witnesses today, real people, real Christians who are really faithful to God. They say, so since we are surrounded by such a great, it's not a little cloud. There are many Christians that went through uh, um, trails of tears, but they triumph, my friends. Then he says, let us lay, now number one, let us lay aside, aside every weight, every burden, things that add weight to our bodies, to our lives, and don't allow us to progress and to walk. Can you walk freely with 200 pounds on your shoulders? No. Well, my friends, you know what God is saying? Okay, he says, let us lay aside every weight and every sin. Now, people say, well, um, see, Joseph did not commit sin because it was the Old Testament. Let me ask you a question, friends. Do you think that the God of Joseph, the Jehovah of the Old Testament, that Jesus Christ who died for him, was expecting to fail? No, he was expecting for him to what? To triumph. Now the question is, so many years later, do you think that he expects the same from you or different? Because you know, a lot of people believe Old Testament is different. New Testament is it's, it's just a piece of cake. You know, the new, some of the new churches um, have tailored their religions to our likes and dislikes. And today the Bible doesn't mean anything. God says it, but society, you know, determines and dictates everything. Now listen carefully what we need to lay aside. 
Every weight, every burden, everything that is coming in, in, in my, uh, on my way as I walk toward Jesus. And the sin, now listen, which so easily ensnares us. Oh, easy. Uh, easy ensnares us. Um, or is it difficult to sin? Is it? No, it's not. Friends, sin is the most natural thing in our lives. We're fallen creatures. But you know what God is saying? Let us lay aside every weight and let aside the sin which so easily and which so many times ensnares us, catches us. But it doesn't stop there. He says, let us run with endurance. It is not just 10 meters. It's not 100 meters. It's not just a kilometer. But it says, let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us. Who sets the race before us? Who already set the race before us? Jesus, God. Okay. But this is the most important part of it. Looking unto Jesus. What? Yeah, God is telling you, you're running, but you're looking. You're not looking behind. You're not letting the burdens confuse you or call your attention. You are running, but you're looking into Jesus. When? Always. Always, my friends. And if we do it that way... He says he's the author and finisher of our faith. You want to have new faith? You, have to, you want to have a renewed faith. You want to be able to put the embers back together and start a new fire of the Holy Spirit in your heart? It's not that difficult. God gave us a prescription. You just heard it. So go home. When you go, I'm not sending you home. But when you go... And please, open the Bible again. Read Hebrews. And determine in your heart that what God says, you will do. And don't worry about your neighbors sitting beside you right now. Worry about your eternal life. May God bless you all. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. So if you're ever in the area, please stop by and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.